My name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if I don't get a chance to talk to you face to face, whether you're a person of faith or not, I just pray God's richest blessings on you during this season and that you truly have a very Merry Christmas. I know in services like this, not everybody that comes to church is all fired up about being at church. You came because someone invited you, maybe your aunt, or you know, maybe you got a girlfriend and she brought you to church. I don't know. But uh, thanks for coming. If you call Sunridge home, if you're just brand new and you were really nervous coming here, uh, thanks for being here. You can be seated. Merry Christmas. Um, one of my favorite all-time sitcoms is Seinfeld. And I'm um, sure many of you shout out for Seinfeld. And one of my favorite episodes, in fact, it's a continuing episode, is uh, when George Casanza's father, Frank, played by Jerry Stiller, uh, he has all this stress and anxiety in his life. He's having high blood pressure. And so his doctor gives him some advice to calm him down and find this peaceful, calming feeling. And he gives him a phrase to say out loud in order to find peace again. Anybody remember that phrase? Serenity now. Serenity now. In case you have no idea what I'm talking about, look at the screens. Serenity now. Serenity now. Serenity now. Serenity now. Serenity now! Serenity now! Serenity now! Serenity now! Serenity now! Hochi Mama! Hochi Mama! <laughs> so you have to be a Seinfeld fan to get all of that, but you know, uh, what's so memorable about Serenity Now isn't just that Jerry Stiller's funny, it's that most of us can relate to that, right? We all, on occasion, need a serenity, serenity now moment. So, like, feel free to just shout that out right now. Go ahead. Serenity, serenity now! Doesn't it feel good? Um, I don't know if Frank Costanza got the point from his doctor, but one thing I know for sure, that doesn't work. It didn't work for him. It probably hasn't worked for you, even if you tried to shout it in the Costco parking lot on occasion. You really realize then that it doesn't work. Uh, but we can all relate to those feelings, and that's why I've loved this series so much that we're wrapping up today. We called it Peace on Earth because we found uh, that even those of us who call ourselves Christians, peace can be elusive for us at times. And that's why I love what Luke records on the day that Jesus was born in Luke chapter 8, or two, 2, verse 8, Luke says that that night some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem the city of David, and this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. And Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to all whom God favors. When I read that, I think of all the things that a heavenly host 
the armies of heaven could announce at the birth of the Son of God, it is this, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to whom all God favors. My hope for you in this last of our Christmas Eve services, and especially if you've been through uh, this entire series, that this Christmas season, that you would experience God's peace in a way that you never have before. Because all of us have an innate desire for that peace. We all want serenity now. We want free to be free from anxiety and worry. We want to be free from money problems. We want to be free from bickering in our homes. We want to be free uh, from all the stress that Christmas can bring. And certainly most of us want that peaceful, easy feeling as we hope for a Chargers Rams Super Bowl. We're all searching for peace in our own way, right? In fact, if I could just leave you with one main thought from my talk this afternoon, it's this. If you're searching for peace, the only place you'll find true and lasting peace is in Jesus Christ. A thousand years before Jesus was born, a man lived named Solomon. And he was a king. He was the king following David. He was the son of King David. And the people of his day called him the wisest man that ever lived. He was also probably the wealthiest. You know, people tend to think that you're smart because you have a lot of money. And Solomon had both. And in a book in the Old Testament, we have his musings on life and priorities and the, and the meaning of life. And the book is called Ecclesiastes, and that's a strange name. But it translates, one who addresses the assembly. It's like Solomon gave the first TED Talks, only they were called Solomon Talks, if you ask me. And so we have 12 brief chapters tucked away in your Old Testament in this little book called, if we translate it, one who addresses the assembly. And in it, he writes about how he's searching for peace. But like Johnny Lee sang in 1980, when he realized that he was looking for love in all the wrong places, Solomon acknowledges that he looked for peace in all the wrong places. And in chapter 2, he starts to unfold his TED Talks about the things that he, the areas, the things that he was looking for peace in. And yet he didn't find it. In chapter 2, verse 3, he said, First of all, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. Now, that's the first thing that he tried to do. And it, ha it has to make you question whether he was truly the wisest person on earth. That his answer or his, the place he's trying to find peace is to get crunk and make some bad decisions. That's what it says, doesn't it? When I was a young high school pastor in Huntington Beach, I was going through a especially uh, anxious time. I, I had a lot of questions and a lot of stress in my life. So I called my best friend who lived across the country long distance. Now, if you're under 30, I want to explain what long distance means to you. So let me just take a couple moments here. See, back in the day, a telephone didn't go with you. It was connected to a wall. It couldn't leave. 
and it didn't remember your numbers for you, you had to either push these buttons, actually type in the number, or you, some of you can remember when you had to put your finger in a hole and dial the right number. And when you, when you purchase service for your home phone, you, you paid for, you got, you got your local service for free. Anything you called in your own area code, that was free. But anything beyond that was called long distance, and you paid extra for that. So this day, I was calling long distance at my church office, and I was racking up a long distance bill, evidently, on the church tab. And I learned something uh, just a couple of weeks following that phone call. First of all, I learned how expensive long distance was in a, a commercial account. And secondly, I learned that my lead pastor, my boss, looked at the long-distance phone calls. So I got called into his office, and uh, he read me the riot act about, you know, this phone call. And then he, he finished this, um, you know, employee counseling moment with uh, this statement. He said, you know, Britt, the next time you're going through a hard time and you want to call somebody, just tell me and I'll buy you a bottle of wine, and it will be cheaper. <laughs> now, I don't know if your lead pastor is supposed to say that to you, uh, and I'm still really glad I called my friend. But, you know, th there's nothing wrong with wine. Jesus made wine. Paul told his protege, Timothy, to drink a little wine on occasion for his stomach's sake. But if, if you're looking for peace, in a bottle, or in abusing prescription drugs. You won't find it there. In chapter 2, verse 8, Solomon goes on. And he says, I look for peace by amassing silver and gold for myself in the treasure of kings, and I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Solomon had everything he wanted. As I mentioned, he was the richest man alive, so he lived kind of in Amazon heaven where he could one-click anything that he wanted. He was the king. And sometimes we say, you know, if, if only I had this amount of money, if I had more money, then I'd be happy. Well, Solomon did have it. He had all the money he wanted. Researchers from uh, the Harvard Business School recently uh, did a study of 4,000 millionaires in America. And they asked them about their happiness and things that, have, uh, that that could be attributed to. And one thing they discovered is those that were worth $8 million or more were slightly happier than those that were trying to eke out a living on $7.9 million. But they also discovered that the majority of those millionaires said that in order to be perfectly happy, they would need to grow their wealth immensely, which works totally opposite of the Rockefeller quote that most of us are familiar with. It's like, all I need is just a little more. Actually, you need a lot more, even if you have $8 million to your net worth. It's really nice to have money. Money buys us nice things. It pays the bills. 
you can buy presents at Christmas. You can give to your church. You can get a good education. You can travel. You can drive nice cars and have toys and have nice things, but it won't buy you peace. Not even if you're worth $8 million. Verse 9, chapter 2, Solomon says, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Solomon became famous. He was honored. He was appreciated. People were jealous of him. But does being famous or honored, does that bring happiness? Even though it might be a, a childhood dream, we all wanted to be famous, right, when we were little kids in some thing that we thought that we would be when we grew up. But psychologists will tell you that one of the worst roles you can be in is to be in a position where your standing in life is is dependent upon the approval of others. Just ask any famous person if becoming famous made them happy. It's great to be admired, especially if you deserve it. Solomon was king. King is better than president. It's better than CEO. It's better than movie star. But achieving greatness or becoming famous evidently doesn't bring peace. In verse 10, he said, My heart took delight in all my work. Solomon said, I threw myself into accomplishments. And he took all of the skill and the intelligence and the great resources that he had. And he constructed great buildings. He was the builder of the first magnificent temple. You know, I've been very fortunate that the jobs that I've had in my life, my work has been very satisfying. I've been both a pastor and a firefighter. Have I mentioned to you guys that I used to be a firefighter? (laughs) Not lately, but now I just did. And I, you know, I, every moment, every day I go to work, I feel fortunate that I get to make a living or, you know, take care of my family by doing something that I love. But I bet, like me, you know people that are really good at what they do, that they are, like, respected and admired in their field, but if their personal life is falling apart, they don't have peace. Verse 10, Solomon also said that I refuse my heart no pleasure. That is, he threw himself wholeheartedly into fulfilling every desire and, and, and seeking pleasure in his life. And Solomon had 700 wives plus concubines. And because we have the littles in here uh, in this audience, we're not going to talk about what a concubine is. I'm going to assume you guys all know what that is. But if you stop and think, he had 700 wives. You'd think at some point, like around wife 200 or 300, that he would have figured it out, that she's not going to make me happy. It's amazing that all of us, we, we get in our mind, if, if, if I had that person or if this relationship with that person was what I wanted to be, or if I was in this circle, if I was married to that person, or I'm married to this person, but I, if I were married to that other person, 
you know, then, then I would have peace. They, they would complete me in some way. We think that way. Relationships are great, and if you, if you have a loving and lasting relationship, you, you are truly blessed. But no matter who you have in your life, they're not perfect. I don't know if you noticed that or not. You will never meet a perfect person that can fulfill everything that you need them to fulfill in your box of expectations. That person is not going to give you peace. In fact, sometimes relationships create just the opposite. They create anxiety. Having a family can bring a whole other set of worries. And being married can create stress as well, even if you're married to a wonderful person. Now, I have to tell you that um, uh, I'm going to confess something to you, that um, you may know that during this season, the Hallmark Channel and Lifetime, they show these Christmas movies. Are you familiar with the Hallmark Christmas Channel? Guys, some of you are nodding your head, so you're busted. So I'm like, I'm outing myself right now. I've actually watched a couple of these movies in the past couple weeks. And you know, they're, they're all the same movie. You know that, right? It's all the same story. But um, one of the things I realized last week in watching it is that Cindy is married to the Hallmark Christmas guy. <laughs> only without the abs. And in spite of that, in spite of the fact that she's married to the Hallmark Christmas guy, do you know that sometimes we have to work at our relationship. Solomon searched for peace in all these places. And when he got done, when he had tried everything that he could think of on his list, do you know what he said? He said, serenity now! In Ecclesiastes 2.11. Actually, no, I, I made that up. He didn't say that. They, actually, what he said is, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I, I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. And in chapter 4, verse 16, he said, trying to find peace in all these things is like chasing the wind. 3,000 years later, don't you find it remarkable that not much has changed? We all have, or we may know, someone that have searched for peace in one of the things that Solomon did. Now, it's impossible for me to know what every person's story here, but I know a lot of your stories. I know that some of you this year experienced loss, the loss of a loved one, and this Christmas is going to be your first Christmas without them. Some of you, uh, your sales are down, or the business that you started, it's starting to tank, or you've lost your mojo uh, at work, and something's going on in your company, and you, you're, you may not even still have your job at the first of the year. Some of you are experiencing communication issues and trust issues in your marriage, and some of you are just plain lonely. Some of you are trying to be a Christian at your school or your university. Some of you are just saying, you know, there has to be more to life than this, this thing, this place 
in my life. There, there must be something more. And like Solomon, you have been searching for peace. What, what are we to do? Well, 700 years before Jesus was born, a prophet named Isaiah made this prophetic statement in view of the coming of Christ in his birth. In, in Isaiah 9, 6, he said, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah said that the coming Son of God will be the Prince of Peace. And these other phrases that he uses are powerful descriptors of that peace. He is the everlasting Father. He is a wonderful counselor. But there's one in particular that I think all of us must come to grips with. And that is mighty God. In fact, I think, I think it's true that you, will, you could never know the Prince of Peace, Jesus, unless you acknowledge him as mighty God. See, Jesus was more than a great teacher or a good man. He was more than a founder of a world religion. And he's more than just a plastic figure in a nativity scene. And he's not just a mythological person that this small band of people in first century Palestine concocted in their minds. History tells us that Jesus was a real person, that he was born in a remarkable way, that as he grew up, he became a beloved yet controversial rabbi, and the Roman Empire executed him as an insurrectionist. And if that was all the story, then he would have been just a good man. But it's not all the story, because he was the mighty God. He was the Son of God. And on the third day, after he'd been crucified, he rose again. And I know that, you know, in an audience like this, it's like, you know, well, you know, Britt, that's the part that I don't get. It's like, I can't really, you know, sink my, you know, my feet into this Bible that tells a story of that. And so I just, that's the part I, I, I can't get on board with. You know, the, Jesus didn't resurrect because the Bible says he did. In fact, if you're thinking that, if you're thinking that, you must believe the Bible, all of the Bible, in order to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've got it backwards. Because when Jesus resurrected, there was no Bible. The followers that knew Jesus saw him die, and they had no Bible. The, the scriptures, as we know them, didn't come for hundreds of years later. The, the letters that Paul and others wrote and the Gospels that were written, they come 30, 60, 100 years after Jesus. So that leaves you with a question. What happened? If, you, if you're not a person of faith, 
there's this one question I would just ask you to consider during this Christmas season. Like, what happened? What happened to this band of people, men and women, who were following Jesus as their rabbi? They saw him die. They walked away from him. They, they, weren't even, they don't show even any sign that like, they believe that on the third day, what he'd been talking about, something was going to happen. They're just like, they're just gone. They're over it. They've moved on, except for a handful of women. And then they interact with the risen Lord. And these, these people that like, they were mediocre. They, they walked away. They thought that their, their little uh, dream was over. And suddenly, everything changes about them. They, they're willing to go around the world and share that story. And others that are around them, they tell the story. And, they, and they're reliable witnesses, so other people believe them. And ultimately, these people that would walk away from God, walk away from Jesus... In desperation, it's done. They're willing to go to a martyr's death. What happened? I can only think that they had a mighty God moment because they knew he was dead. They didn't have a Bible. They only had their own eyewitness account. It's something to think about. If you are searching for peace, I would just remind you that the Prince of Peace is also mighty God. If you're a Christian, like maybe, maybe you just need to be reminded of that. I don't know what your situation is, but, but today, as you go home with your family or alone, whatever your situation is, be reminded that peace comes from the Prince of Peace, because he is the mighty God. And if you're not a person of faith, again, I just ask you to think about these things and what happened to these people. Let's pray.